this is Heather. Welcome to Dissected, cutting to the heart of health news. I'm so glad you're here. In the last Lunch and Learn, I talked briefly about randomized control trials, commonly referred to as an RCT. Before we jump right into part two, though, let's recap what we talked about last week. An RCT involves assigning different groups to different exposures. The exposures can be a variety of things from drugs and vitamins to placebos and nothing at all. At the end of the study, the effectiveness of the exposures is compared head-to-head to answer the question, is one better than the other or do they work the same? So now that we've recapped what we talked about last week, let's talk about blinding, a cornerstone of RCTs. Blinding refers to whether those involved in the study are aware of the group to which they have been assigned. In a single-blind study, only the participant or only the researcher is aware of the group to which the patient has been assigned. This type of blinding introduces the most potential for bias, but sometimes this is the only way to carry out a study. For example, if a researcher wanted to evaluate weight loss outcomes in patients who ate a salad before dinner versus those who ate soup for dinner, it would be impossible for the participants not to know whether they were in the soup group or the salad group. But it's still possible for the researcher not to know. On the other hand, a researcher may knowingly give one group of patients a placebo and another group an active pill. If both pills were identical, the patient would have no way of knowing what group they were assigned to. So let's move on to double-blind trials. In a double-blind trial, neither the patient nor the investigator are aware of the group to which the research participant has been assigned. This is preferable over the single-blind trial, but it is not always possible. In a triple-blind trial, the patient, the investigator, and the biostatistician, or the person analyzing the data, are all unaware of the group to which the patient has been assigned. This is the ideal scenario, but again, it's not always possible. So let's move on to the two different types of RCTs. There are pragmatic trials and equivalence trials. Equivalence trials can be referred to as inferiority or non-inferiority trials. So if we think about this like a hierarchy, we have two blocks at the top. One block is a pragmatic trial, and another block is the equivalence trial. Now stemming from the equivalence trial are two ovals. In one oval, you have the inferiority trial, and in the other oval, you have the non-inferiority trial. So essentially, in equivalence trials, the researcher aims to determine that the new treatment is no better or no worse than the standard treatment. Pragmatic trials test if a treatment works in real-world settings. This is important because some trials may be carried out under ideal circumstances. We'll cover the details of pragmatic and equivalence trials in another episode. Now let's talk a little bit more about how randomized control trials can be carried out. 
There are three main ways in which exposures can be applied to research participants. So let's imagine that we have two groups. One receives an active pill and another receives a placebo. The first way we can run an RCT is to give each of the two groups the intervention at the same time. So again, one receives an active pill and another receives a placebo. When the interventions are given to both groups at the same time, it's called a parallel study. Let's think of this as a track meet. Essentially, you have a red team and a blue team. Members of the red team never run for the blue team. Next is the crossover study, where study participants receive both treatments but at different points in the study. So let's use track teams again as an example. The red team and the blue team run for their respective teams but halfway through switch their shirts. So the red team is now the blue team and the blue team is now the red team. The final type of study is a sequential study where participants receive the intervention at the same time, but the number of participants is not designated beforehand. Instead, the investigator continues to enroll participants until they observe a difference. So that's all I'm going to give you for today because I've given you a lot to think about. In the next episode on RCTs, which will be my third and final segment, at least for now, I'll talk about how research participants are randomized. If you found this helpful, please consider sharing it with a friend. Or you can share the whole podcast series. Please also subscribe and consider leaving me a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. It will make me feel really good about continuing to publish these episodes, and it will help other people to find the show. It's a free way to spread some goodwill and I appreciate your support very much. You can contact me via my website, dissectedhealthpod.com, or on Instagram, also dissectedhealthpod. You can also join the Facebook group where I answer questions people like you have about the episode. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Enjoy the rest of your day.